Welcome to Physicians Helping Attorneys Helping People. When people are injured due to negligence or while on the job, they need all the help they can get. Doctors Armin Feldman and Mike Bummer help ensure they get it. Join them as they discuss the newest medical subspecialty of medical legal consulting. Learn how attorneys can gain a competitive advantage in PI, workers' comp, and medical malpractice cases. Armin and Mike can help you better understand the medical issues in your cases, leading to larger settlement amounts and the best possible medical care for clients. They can help save you time and increase case value, all without breaking the bank. Let's get started. Welcome to this episode of Physicians Helping Attorneys Helping People. I'm Dr. Armin Feldman, and I'm here, as always, with my friend, colleague, and partner in Physicians Legal Consultants, Dr. Mike Bummer. And Mike, I wanted to compliment you again and give you kudos. So our last episode was on invisible wounds and specifically PTSD. And in fact, right before we started recording, we got on uh, our stats list and we saw we're doing really well with downloads for that episode. So, and when we were talking about what we were going to do this week, you again struck gold, Mike, and <laughs> came up with what I think is another fantastic topic. You are far too kind. Hello, <laughs> hello, Armin, and hello to our listeners. Uh, well, I shared with you kind of a funny story. I don't know if other of our listeners uh, experience this, but I have some of my best ideas when I'm taking a shower. <laughs> and I don't know if I don't know if it's the warmth or the fact that you just can't do much else besides showering when you're showering. <laughs> but we have we have a term for that in uh, psychoanalysis. It's called free association. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I was showering last week whenever we whenever this was something that you and I were going to discuss, and I realized that so many of our personal injury comprehensive medical summary reports involve rear-end car crashes. And so I knew that this is a very hot topic. This is something that our listeners uh, are, are dealing with every single day. Uh, they're getting calls or clients who have been rear-ended, and this results in any any various level of severity of their injury. And I couldn't agree with you. I'm sorry, did I interrupt you? No, please, please. So, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more, Mike, uh, that I, of course, I've been thinking about it since you brought it up as a topic. And I have to say that, um, first of all, auto crashes, auto accidents uh, are probably the the biggest thing that I'm asked to consult on. And in thinking about it, it's remarkable how many of those auto crashes turn out to be rear-end accidents. And there are some fairly typical injuries that uh, I'm sure all of our attorney listeners are quite familiar with that happen in those accidents, uh, like... um, Oh, temporomandibular joint disorder, soft tissue injuries of the neck and back, um, ruptured discs, protruding discs, uh, thoracic outlet syndrome. I'm just talking off the top of my head. Um, 
shoulder injuries, uh, uh, broken bones, uh, uh, multi-traumatic um, brain injury, uh, and the like. Yeah, Armin, uh, the National Security or National Safety Council mm-hmm. even reports that forty percent of all car crashes are mm-hmm. rear-end collisions. And I think it's there, there's a lot that goes into this. So we have a lot of research, and that's that was really jumping to the purpose of this podcast. Isn't just to point out something our attorneys already know, which is they they right. get a lot of calls about re- getting rear-ended, but it's that we as medical legal consultants have developed a body of literature and a great level of comfort discussing the implications of a rear end collision. And, you know, when you, when you sit back and think about the the implications of a rear end collision, it's probably one of the biggest things just common sense wise is that it's, it's typically an unexpected accident. Yes. And there's, there's a certain mechanical force that gets applied to the head and neck and back and the various structures of the body. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. And in fact, um, what we're going to do today uh, at Mike's suggestion is we're going to share with you some of the research that we do and that we use in our reports and that we quote in our reports and go over some of the salient features uh, in these articles. But one thing I wanted to tell you is that in the, both the articles that I'm going to talk about today, they talk about that, that if the person is not aware that the accident is coming, which is common in rear-end accidents, then uh, certain injuries are more likely uh, and more severe. Exactly. You know, the, the paper that I want to start out with was mm-hmm. written by Ito, in 2004 and it's one that i include commonly whenever we i have a traditional whiplash injury from a rear end uh, crash and what ito et al goes into is that this rear end collisions are most likely to injure the lower cervical spine Mm. and he explains in detail how this intervertebral hyperextension occurs and at the T1 level, there's horizontal acceleration up to about 5 Gs and beyond that then can result in uh, this whiplash kind of tweaking of, of the ligaments, of the musculature, and the vertebrae. And it, it kind of made me early on in this work that I've been doing question, what is 5G? What What is that <laughs> about? And so... Right. I think that deserves a comment here. And a G-force for our listeners is defined as an acceleration that is related to Earth's gravity. We've all heard, you know, G's uh, for for gravity. Right. But what's interesting is uh, related to whiplash and for our listeners is that the human head weighs on average about 10 pounds. Actually, that reminds me of a Jerry Maguire quote. I remember when the little kid in Jerry Maguire says, mm-hmm. did you know the human head head, head weighs 10 pounds? <laughs> Maybe you don't remember that movie. No, quote, actually, but... <laughs> uh, actually <laughs> I do. Uh, there was another movie, by the way, with Brad Pitt. Um, I think it was the, called the uh, Seven Deadly Sins. It was called Seven. Oh, that's a seven. tough one. Right, yeah. right. And uh, there's the uh, a head that's being transported around yes. in the box. Yeah. Yes. 
So the way that this reply, uh, applies to car crashes with the weight of the head and the G-forces is that you just have to trust me on this, but a lot of smart f uh, physicists have calculated mm. that a 5G force, which I just told you is on average uh, in low impact uh, rear end injury, results in a potential loading of about 50 pounds to the head. Wow. And they found that even at about seven miles per hour, mm -hmm. uh, whenever acceleration is even only at 3.1 Gs, the head can be accelerated forward at a force of 8.3 Gs. Now we're already getting a little bit complex, but what the, the key is, this is equivalent to an 83 pound force acting on the head. Yeah. And we unfortunately are not built like bobblehead dolls. I just went to a, a Pittsburgh Pirates game and they were giving out bobbleheads and, and <laughs> right. in a very weird way it made me think of this. But we... Let me just jump in for a sec too yeah. because in one of the articles that I read recently, that 5G force is like driving into a brick wall head on at 20 miles an hour. Wow. Yeah. See, those analogies help because this is... A lot of people have almost come to just accept that we're going to get rear-ended at some point. You know, oh, it can't be that bad. Anecdotally, my wife was rear-ended in, in a, in a uh, postal service parking lot going probably no more than five or seven miles per hour. She was stopped. The car behind her thought she had pulled out, and she didn't. And they just, one little one little bump. Wow. And she, um, she had kind of a sore neck and required treatments on her neck and back for over two years. Yeah. from something that small. And she was in her mid-20s at the time. Yeah, yeah, right. So nonetheless, back to the paper. This uh, this paper does a specifically very good job discussing the various hypotheses that explain the basis of chronic neck pain and injury to these facet joints, which are connecting the vertebrae, the mm -hmm. intervertebral discs, uh, the spinal ligaments, these are all things that exist anatomically in our backs, in our spine, and also goes in. The paper goes into psychosocial factors uh, relating to whiplash injury, and it's it's just really interesting, Armin, because it it lays it all out. It's a five-page paper, and it has given me very good ammunition whenever I need to explain in our summary reports how a whiplash injury is in fact causing the the damages that our clients our attorney's clients have suffered oh that's just great mike so what that if i can say it in different words what that paper is doing is providing evidence uh, that the attorney can use from the medical literature to help prove up that their medical theory for the case uh, that the rear end accident uh, was sufficient enough to cause significant damage uh, to their to significant medical problems to their to their client. You put that really well. Yep. Yeah. What about your paper? Well, I wanted to start with this is uh, one of the classics. And um, it's actually a paper from 1997. Obviously, that's a while back, right? Uh, this is, uh, but this is a kind of a seminal paper that 
maybe some of our attorneys even know about this paper. Uh, probably um, our physician listeners and our general listeners may not know about this, but this is a paper by Castro and his group. And the title of the paper is, Do Whiplash Injuries Occur in Low-Speed Impacts? And if I could digress just for a minute outside of the paper, this is always a big issue, isn't it, Mike? That opposing counsel, opposing doctors are going to say, "Well, well, this person couldn't possibly have had this problem or that problem because this was a low impact accident. And so that's always something of a sticky wicket. And what makes this paper so important is they addressed this specific issue. So uh, let me give everybody the bottom line on uh, their findings, and then I'll go into a little bit of how they, it's kind of amazing what they did, but how they actually did it. So their conclusion was that what they uh, call the limit of harmlessness. In other words, the speed at which people most likely would not be significantly injured was somewhere between six, they actually say it's between 10 and 15 kilometers per hour. It was actually a European paper, but but, um, for us uh, using the imperial system, that means the crash was somewhere between six and nine miles an hour. So if you look at the top number as a possibility, that means that even it's possible at six miles an hour that someone can have significant injuries. So here's what they did. I don't even think that this would be allowed in 2023, but here's what they did. They got volunteers. They got 14 male volunteers between the ages of 28 and 47, and five female volunteers between the ages of 26 and 37. And these people actually participated in 17 rear-end collisions, and interestingly enough, in three bumper car, carnival bumper car uh, collisions. And one of the things they conclude in the paper is that in certain individuals, even at the speed of common carnival bumper car rides, in susceptible individuals, that this is a fast enough speed to cause damage, to cause Um, injuries. That's so interesting. Yeah. So, and then to your point about people not knowing uh, that the accident is coming, one of the things that they did is they um, sequestered the person in the uh, uh, target vehicle in such a way that they couldn't hear uh, or they couldn't see that when the accident was going to occur. And they, they call the, the, one, the rear end car that bumps into them the bullet vehicle. So one of the things that they did is they video recorded every crash. They also hooked up every volunteer participant to an EMG. So they, that's uh, electromyography. So they were measuring the tension, uh, the spasm that would occur in their muscles. 
uh, and uh, they uh, also were uh, taking uh, photographs uh, of the crashes and also registering how much damage the car received uh, in the rear end uh, uh, accident. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. We're going we're to keep you uh, completely in the dark and then smash a car into you. <laughs> <laughs> which it was actually right so um so their main conclusions were uh what they call which i mentioned a moment ago they called the um biomechanical limit of harmlessness uh what i mentioned at 10 to 15 um, miles per uh, kilometer um and they also uh opined or discovered in this uh, test that the extent of the damage to the cars involved was crucial in uh, determining uh, the velocity change due to um, uh, the situation, due to the crash itself. Uh, and the other thing that they, and this comes up in another paper that I looked at too, but the other thing that they determined is people with some pre-existing uh, problem, like um, uh, some problem neck tightness or some uh, small degenerative changes in their neck, uh, and the fact that they weren't, uh, they didn't know when the crash was coming, uh, make all of the uh, injuries more likely to be more severe. Mm. These, I, I should point out that these comments and correlations to the literature are used in our papers the way we i know the way i use them and i'm sure the way you mm -hmm. use them is in telling the narrative of the client's injury we are piece by piece usually over the course of a couple pages we are taking snippets from these papers and applying them to the specific nature of what the client's injury how it occurred what the maybe the speed of that crash that they were in was and really using the paper pulling in whether it's the paper the low speed injury that you uh just talked about with castro or some of the other papers that we have that discuss some of the significant injuries to vertebral bodies or facet joints and really saying that it painting it very clear for the adjuster right or for opposing counsel that these injuries and and what they what they are now suffering from can be explained and in narrative form we explain it and then we attach these quotes often from the papers and then we we give our attorneys the papers to include with their settlement yes, right right so i probably have oh an armamentarian of uh, 20 of these papers that are you know in my own uh, file but uh, and then of course i can go to the literature to supplement or find new ones or something specific to the case. So I, I think we could go on for days, but maybe we should do one, maybe two, but maybe one more. Do you have another one you want to talk about? Yeah, I think it'll be quick though. Mm -hmm. I, I, I can pull up another paper I have that was written by Kavanaugh mm -hmm. and his team in 2006. And it uh, was published out of Detroit, Michigan. And it really discusses specifically, again, back to facet joints 
and that a good percentage of these injuries uh, to the facet joints result in lumbar and cervical spinal pain. And they did uh, studies using diagnostic blocks that suggest the incidence of this cervical facet pain is actually even higher than that of lumbar facet pain, which again, whenever this comes up in a specific case, I can tell you, Armin, that I think a greater majority of my, uh, my car crash victims actually do have more significant cervical pain than lumbar facet pain. And this goes on to say in the paper that quote, many of these patients have no obvious radiographic abnormalities and the pain is typically of capsular origin. Yes. And there's various biomechanical studies that support overstretch of the cervical facet joint capsule as a possible source of whiplash injury. And like you said, we could go on and on, but this is, I've found this so helpful to include this type of research. You know, that reminds me of a paper I didn't even pull up to uh, consider for today's podcast, but there, there's a paper on facet joint or called facet joint arthrosis or you know, damage to that joint. So those facet joints, I think I've mentioned this on a prior podcast. If you can picture the spine, or if you look at a picture of the spine on the internet, there are these kind of, I don't know what the bones that are kind of spurs, but they connect one uh, vertebrae, one level of the spine to the next up uh, below and uh, above and below. And where these uh, bones come together, that's called the facet joint. And it's an actual articulated joint. In other words, there's um, cartilage over that joint, synovial cartilage, and there's fluid, there's synovial fluid inside that joint. And it's covered in a capsule uh, and it moves like other uh, articulated joints uh, in our body. And But what I was going to say about that is there's a really good paper that I didn't even bring up to talk about today about how the pain involved with facet arthrosis uh, can, can be very severe. And so particularly in these low-impact uh, rear-end accidents where there are the other side's arguing, well, how could they possibly have this? We have very good evidence that our attorneys can use uh, as uh, part of the development of their uh, case and their theory, particularly to these facet injuries, uh, where the pain that can be experienced from these injuries um, often can be not only severe, but uh, debilitating, making, making the person being unable to work, for example, or bend their head over their desk or, uh, if the spine it goes out of normal alignment and becomes too straight or uh, is curved in the wrong direction, that uh, they can't do the tasks of everyday living. You know, I, I went ahead and pulled up a photo. So sometimes it helps. I think our attorneys may even visual visualization might help them. I, I feel like the way the spine could be visualized if you're looking at it from the side, almost like a judge's gavel. You know how a gavel has the, uh, has like a block of wood on the end. that's kind of bulkier. And then it has that arm that, that the judge would hold to, to, uh, to bang the gavel. The facet joint 
is if you piled three or five or seven gavels on top of one another, that bony process that's sticking out, which is the hand of the gavel, has to kind of make connection with the handle below right. it, as does the, the hammer portion of the gavel, and that's where the discs are. The discs, the we've all heard about bulge discs or ruptured disc. The disc is the the softer material between the hammer portion, the the block of the gavel, and these facet joints are the very sensitive, smaller joints that are that right where the two handles, those very small out outcroppings mm-hmm. from the gavel, the handles touch. And I, I hope that that visualization is even remotely feasible for our listeners. But that is how tender and how sensitive these facet joints can right, be. Right, right. So the only thing that I would add, Mike, is uh, I'm kind of emphasizing what I said a moment ago, is that we have, uh, in our research, we've come across uh, you know, some great papers, uh, not hundreds, but maybe, you know, in the tens to twenties that we use on a regular basis uh, that can really help uh, the attorney in arguing these cases. That's exactly right. That was, that was the point of today's episode is to say that if if there's ever any difficulty uh, making the case, explaining these injuries, we do it on a regular basis and include good literature to back up our our opinions. Yeah. Anything else on this for today? No, that was a lot of fun. Thanks. Yeah. So we, uh, as I said, right at the top of the podcast, uh, and I, we've said before, we do get to watch the numbers of people listening and uh, downloads and so forth. And we want to thank you so much for your loyal support uh, and the fact that our uh, podcast listen, listenership uh, it literally is growing with uh, every podcast uh, that we add. Uh, so thank you for that. Um, if you uh, have a case, uh, if you have a comment, uh, or if you'd like to get a hold of us, you can reach us at comments at physicianshelpingattorneys.com. And we certainly look forward to having you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to Physicians Helping Attorneys Helping People. For more information about the show and to listen to all the podcast episodes, go to physicianshelpingattorneys.com. You can also email Armin and Mike at comments at physicianshelpingattorneys.com. Music